Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Not bad. Not bad. Well, it's a blessing to be back today to continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. If you're not there, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And as my wife chuckled this morning, yes, I'm doing 20 verses today. It's hard to preach a gospel and not take larger chunks, so that's why we end up sitting on larger chunks. But this morning we're going to be discussing a parable, the first parable that is recorded for us in the Gospels. It's a parable of foundation. It's of the four soils, more commonly known as the parable of the sower, which is a misnomer because it's not about the sower, it's about the soil. But we're going to preach through that this morning. There is great anticipation in the first century of the coming of Messiah. Many people were waiting. Many people were looking. Many people were searching for the Christ to come. And most people missed it. Most people denied the person and work of Jesus Christ. They misunderstood the fact that Jesus wasn't coming for a political and a kingdom rule. He was coming to be broken, to be battered, and to be crucified on behalf of sinners. That's what Christ came for, but that's not what Israel as a whole was looking for. They were looking for freedom from the political tyranny, uh, tyranny of Rome. They were looking for the Roman government to be put asunder and to be broken, that they could have freedom and have a great kingdom. That's what they expected of Messiah. Yet they forgot the Old Testament writings that all said that the Christ had to come and to be broken and suffer and die for the sins of the people. They missed the beginning of salvation. They missed the fact that God himself would step into time and suffer and die for their sins. John 1.11 tells us that he came unto his own and his own rejected him. We're all familiar with that. His own refused to receive him. And then Peter expounded on that truth later on in the epistle that was written in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in chapter 3, Peter says these words to those who would listen. In chapter 3, in verse 13 through 15, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And then down in verse 18, he says this, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Peter, in the wisdom given him by the Spirit, proclaimed the truth that the Christ had to suffer and die, and yet he will come again as a glorious reigning king in the end of time. And we praise God for that. But that was missed. Many people were looking again for a political kingdom. They were looking for the benefits of the Messiah here and now. Our culture is very much like that. We're a culture of wanting everything now, being satisfied now, not waiting, right? But the book of Proverbs tells us that a thing gained hurriedly in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. How often we forget that truth. How often we forget contentment. And when we are not content, we often have contempt for God because I need what I need now and I know better. The Gospel of Luke 
in chapter 13 and verse 23 says this. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Jesus gave many warnings to those who continued to refuse to bow the knee to his sovereignty. And you know what's interesting is his disciples asked, Lord, why do so few come? An unnamed disciple of Christ asked that question in the Gospel of Luke. He said, Lord, why do so few believe? It had to have been disheartening to the disciples to see Jesus proclaim that he was God in the flesh over and over again. And he validated that not only through the gospel preaching, but also through his miraculous power. Over and over again, he proved that he was the Messiah, that he was the Lamb of God. And few understood and few repented and few believed. The disciples had to have been disheartened like, why is everybody missing this? Why are the scribes and the Pharisees not understanding the fact that he's fulfilling the scriptures? Jesus gave them an answer in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, when he gave the analogy of the wide way and the narrow gate. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many will find it. Narrow is the way, and small is the gate that leads to life, and few will find it. Jesus gave the explanation that many are going to miss. Many are going to not see the right way. They're going to follow along with the crowd blindly towards destruction. But he also gave the guarantee that there will be few that do find it. That's why we still fish today, right? Because we have the gospel promise that there will be those who hear. And that's our encouragement. But why this parable first? It's a great question. Why the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils? Because Jesus was speaking to lay a foundational truth that the disciples needed to understand. He needed to start with the heart of salvation, giving insight and encouragement. Why? Because eventually he was going to give them the great commission to go and to preach the gospel unto all nations. And they needed to understand the heart of man. The parable of the seed and the sower and the soils is all about the heart of a man. That's why I have entitled the message, Four Soils of the Heart. Because it's about the typical response that you can get when you preach the gospel. There are four responses, four basic responses. And three out of the four show us that man's heart is hard. That man continues to look not for the gospel of salvation, but towards his own desires. This morning we're going to take our time and we're going to read through the parable and the explanation. And then we're going to get into it and dive into what God has here for us this morning. If you're not there, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, please. And he began teaching again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. 
other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop that produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road, where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Let's pray this morning before we get into God's word and ask his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, again for the privilege and the opportunity to come and to worship you through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, but also through the reading and understanding of your word. Because we know that Jesus is the word. John 1, 1. And we know that in Christ there is life and life abundant. Your word tells us that Jesus is the only way. Father, may you continue to help us to understand more of your word that we be made and conformed more and more to the image of your beloved son. Father, you had great pleasure in your son. Father, may we also serve with pure hearts that we may hear one day, well done, my good and faithful slave. Lord, help us to be faithful, not only in sitting under the word, but also in preaching the gospel to all peoples. May we be bold, may we not be silent about it, and may we continue to give you glory for all these things. And Father, we just ask again for understanding, for wisdom, for eyes that see and ears that hear, that you may be glorified and honored in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this morning, we're going to look at the four soils of the heart, because when the gospel is preached, there is a response. Everybody has a response to the name of Jesus. If you don't understand that, look in the news at those who are naming the name of Jesus, not God, not Yahweh, not Muhammad and Allah, but Jesus specifically. See what happens. Many times you can see in the news when somebody names the name of Jesus, all of a sudden, oh, their signal got interrupted and the broadcast got dropped. It's happened a lot. Just happened at the Masters recently. No, I don't watch golf, but for those of you that do, the guy that won the Masters tournament and got his green coat was talking about Jesus. And as soon as that happened, they dropped the broadcast, said they'd get back to it, and it never happened. There's an MMA fighter. Don't follow that either, but again, in sports. And he was talking about the love of America that lacked for Christ. 
And as soon as he spoke the name of Jesus, broadcast ended, and he got berated and belittled by the owner of MMA. If you see over and over again people that hear the name of Jesus, there's always a reaction. There's always a response because we as creatures are made to do with our creator. Everybody has a responsibility for what they do with Jesus. And you will either accept and bow the knee now or you will do so in heaven or in hell. I heard a a street preacher who was in England preaching as he got arrested. And they kept saying, we don't want to hear anything about Jesus. Nobody wants to believe that garbage. And he said, one day, everybody will believe when they die. And it's true. Because when you die, you will come face to face with your creator. And you will give an accounting for what you either believe or what you don't. Everybody has to do with our great and glorious God. And Jesus took time to explain that to his disciples, that they would be prepared, that the preaching was not just for them to do, but they were to leave the results to the Lord. Because the soil of the heart is only prepared by the Spirit of God. We have nothing to do with preparing hearts to receive the word of the Lord. We are responsible to preach the word. God will do the rest. We need to be faithful to what we were commanded to do, and that was go and to make disciples. That was go and preach the word to all people. God didn't say go and change hearts of man because we can't. We couldn't even change our own heart. It's a work of God. It's a work of his spirit because it's all to his glory. But Jesus begins in his parable here with four different types of soil. This was a common sight in the first century of Israel, right? A lot of farmers. There's still a lot of farming that goes on. But a guy going along with a bag of seeds slung over his shoulder and walking and broadcasting seed was a common sight in Israel during Jesus' time. People understood what Jesus was talking about. We saw just a couple chapters ago that Jesus and his disciples were walking upon the roads. And we learned that the roads were often through fields, right? Because fields were everywhere. But they had common roadways that go through. And Jesus' disciples were rebuked by the Pharisees for picking grains of heads of grain and eating them. This is the same idea that Jesus is talking about here as we get into the soils. Matthew 13.1 gives us a setting that just prior to Jesus preaching, he healed a blind and a mute demoniac. Jesus again oftentimes validated his message through the power of his healing miracles. In Matthew 13, 2, we hear that the crowd was listening while standing on the beach. But here we see what happens. It says here in verse 1, he began to teach again. That word again just reiterates the fact that Christ came to preach the gospel. The miracles that he performed were to validate the message of the gospel. But Christ came for the purpose to preach, as he told us in chapter 1. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. Jesus often taught from a boat because the crowds would crush upon him so much that he wouldn't be able to preach because everybody was reaching and grabbing that they might touch the hem of his garment and be healed. So Jesus oftentimes got in a boat, went a little offshore, and taught from there. And it says that he sat down to teach. That was actually traditional rabbinic style. As a rabbi would teach, he would sit down and the people would stand and listen. This was common. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. And it's interesting here. We now see a switch in Christ's preaching. He goes from preaching and teaching with great authority and clarity in the synagogues to he's now teaching in parables. Why? Oftentimes we don't stop and think about the changes in the way that Jesus taught. But it was for a purpose. It was a double-edged sword in, in all actuality. To those who were believing and had faith in Christ, it was a blessing because they understood great spiritual truths and came to understand the depth of what Christ was preaching in the gospel. But to those who continued in unbelief, it was a mindless riddle that they didn't understand. It was a judgment that Jesus was now proclaiming. You who continue to walk in unbelief will not understand the teachings of the kingdom of heaven. But to those of you who would follow and willingly submit to Christ as God, you'll gain understanding. Jesus now begins with a command. Verse 3. Listen to this. When Christ says, listen, our ears ought to be pricked. He has something important to tell us. How many of us have gone about in life and say, hey, listen to me, right? You're getting people's attention. Jesus is doing the same thing. Listen to what I have to say. And he goes on. And he begins. And he was saying this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate it up. Now we start to begin to look at the four different types of soil that Jesus is expounding on. The first is the roadside soil. The first three are unproductive, just to make that comment beforehand. If you don't get that, understand that now. Out of the four soils, three are unproductive and unfruitful. Only one is produced, and only one produces fruit. But again, we start with the roadside soil. In Israel, again, there was hard-packed roadways of clay oftentimes that went through the fields. And this is what most people used to travel through the country because there was not no roads like we have about in abundance in our day and age. We don't have, they didn't have interstates and highways and state roads and country roads. They just had main roads that went through the fields. This was hard-packed. This was very hard ground. Nothing grew on it because it was constantly trampled on by people and carts and animals. It was dry. It was, it was almost like pavement. And this is the seed that we look at first, the roadside soil. It's hard as pavement as walkways went through the fields. The seed was exposed when sown on the roadside because it was so hard it couldn't penetrate into the soil and start bearing roots. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 8 verse 5 tells us that most of the seed was also trampled underfoot by men. Is that not what we see today? A great trampling of the gospel. We see it often. But this is the first type of soil. The hard-packed soil. The soil that doesn't allow the seed to penetrate or even to begin to take root where the birds come and snatch it away and people trample it underfoot. Secondly, we see other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Secondly, we see the rocky ground soil. Many of you may not know, but in Israel, they have a lot of limestone. And oftentimes, the limestone sat just under the surface by about an inch or so. And this is the soil that Christ is talking about, where the seed, it gets sown on this soil. And what happens to seed that's on warm soil? 
It grows, right? It takes root. But when it's only an inch deep, what happens? It can't put down its roots. It can't find all the great moisture. And when the sun comes out and dries that soil because there's not much depth, it destroys anything that seeks to take life. This is the same kind of soil that Jesus is talking about. The seed can penetrate. It can grow marginally and quickly because there's moisture there. But when the spring rains are gone, when the sun comes out, it dries up and it dies. It's temporary. It's interesting to note that the same sun that causes seed to grow elsewhere destroys the seed on the soil. Bears no fruit. The third type of soil, and other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Thorny soil. This is good tilled soil. Israel had a lot of patches of thorny soil. And what happens is they would till the soil and it would look beautiful and it had great depth and it had good water and it had good nutrients. And they would sow their seed and the seed would start to sprout. But then all the germination seeds of the thorns would start to grow along with it. And the seeds of the thorns would overtake the good seed of what was sown and it would choke it out. It would steal the nutrients from the other seed, from the good seed, and it would cause it to die. And again, it would yield no fruit. It would yield no harvest. It would overwhelm it completely. It would cause it to suffer. It would cause it to suffocate. And we would have nothing left. The thorn stole its moisture, stole its nutrients. These are interesting phrases to keep hold of in your mind as we begin to look at the explanations. But Jesus is beginning with the parable with the soils. And then he's, and in verse 8 he says, And other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. I want you to understand, that was mind-blowing in the days of Israel. Back then, a good harvest was six to eight percent fold. That's it. That was a good harvest for the typical crop in Israel. If they hit tenfold return, that was a phenomenal above average crop. So when Jesus said that this soil would produce 30, 60 to 100 fold, it didn't make sense in their minds, right? But this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the good soil. When Christ causes something to grow, it will grow exponentially beyond what it should. And that's the glory of the Spirit of God who indwells his people. But again, farmers expected six to eight fold, not 30, not 60, and not 100. 10% was phenomenal. But this, are the, this is the four types of soil that Jesus begins and speaks to the people. Now let's look at the purpose of parables. Verses 9 through 13. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's a call again for people to listen. But it wasn't just a listening of I hear the words that are being spoken. It was a call to understanding. It was a call to understand what the words meant, right? A parable was a short story to convey a deep spiritual truth. And Jesus is calling for those who have ears to hear to let them hear. But then, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, again, those are two distinct groups. He had the close inner circle of the twelve, but he also had other disciples. 
As they were alone, so the crowds have dissipated and left, he began, they began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, they get everything in parables. Jesus begins to explain that the riddles were meant for judgment against the unbelievers, that they would not hear and understand it. When he gave the call of, he who has ears to hear, he was calling to those whose so the heart soil has been prepared by God to receive the gospel. His followers and disciples asked for help. Matthew 13, 10 tells us that why do you speak to the people in parables? That was a question they had. They didn't understand why would you teach in riddles? If you go back to the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, it says the wisdom of God, right? To know who God is and to understand him. And it says as you gain wisdom and understanding, it will help you understand the sayings of the wise and the riddles. Solomon laid out back in his day that if you want to grow in wisdom and understanding, you have to do that by understanding and knowing God. And as you know and understand God, he will give you wisdom to understand the riddles of the wise and their sayings. Jesus is echoing that same truth here. If you have ears to hear, it's because God has given you those ears to hear and the soil of your heart has been prepared. Part of their motivation was also their own lack of understanding, right? The disciples were a little frustrated. They didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. So they asked him, what do we get here? What do we do with this? You've just spoken a hard saying and we don't understand it. Help. How many of us have stopped when we've been reading our Bible, where we came across something we don't understand and we ask for help. Sometimes, maybe. Yeah, it's good. It's good to ask for help. As long as you ask the right people of help. But to gain wisdom and understanding, you need to study to show yourself approved, right? A workman that need not to be ashamed of the gospel. In order to do that, one, you need to open your Bible and you need to study Two, you need to pray through what you're studying. And three, you need to seek wisdom and discipleship and counsel from those who are more mature in the faith. That's why God gave the church as a body, right? A unity of believers. And not all of us are on the same, in the same spot in our walk of faith. Some are down here on the left that are not mature yet. Some of us are over here on the mature side. So what's the point of that? You bring those on the left and bring them over to the right and keep helping people grow and mature in their faith. Why? Because life is hard. Because life is difficult. Because Satan hates the church as much today as he did in the past. Because we will be tempted. We will be tried. I guarantee you persecution is coming. There was a young man that was just arrested in Wisconsin for reading the word of God on the street corner while a pride parade was going on. He wasn't given a warning. He was just arrested. And there was five others in his group. It's coming. Where are you going to stand? If you don't have firm root or depth, you will fall away. But Jesus gave two reasons for his teaching with parables. And he says this in verse 11. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. What is that mystery? It's the mystery of the gospel, of salvation. That word mystery isn't mysticism and a great mystery that needs to be solved. What that mystery refers to in the New Testament is the Old Testament prophecies that have now been made known in the New Testament age. 
that the things that the prophets prophesied of and looked forward to, we can now look back on and understand why they were written and how they were written. Jesus was given understanding. But his second reason was that he would conceal truth from the unbelieving. How do we know that? Well, he quoted Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 here in verse 12. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise they might return and be forgiven. That was Isaiah chapter 6. And we know that in Isaiah's day, the prophets preached and most of the people didn't listen. And God's wrath came through who? Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians when they came and besieged and destroyed Jerusalem and deported the people. What about in Jesus' day and age? God's wrath came, A.D. 70. Titus came and destroyed Jerusalem and dispersed the people among the Roman nation again. And there will be another day coming when Christ will come and judge the earth and disperse the people to their eternal destiny. But again, this mystery here is speaking of the kingdom of God and of his salvation through Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to jump around and read a few verses for you to reiterate this point. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Then in Romans chapter 8, we learn another great truth, the truth of our adoption. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Then 1 John, in the epistle of 1 John, he echoes the same truth. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, For all of us, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And then Philippians 3, verse 20 says this, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are waiting, not waiting and sitting still, but waiting by being obedient and looking forward to the coming of Christ, will not be ashamed on that day when he comes. It's important to understand the fact that there is an eternal choice that all of us must make and that hinges on the person and work of Jesus Christ and that alone do we believe that he is the son of God or don't we do we believe that he was a lunatic or a liar or that he was truly the son of God because those are the only choices that we have then Jesus turns and focuses on his disciples verse 13 and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? He asked the question that they already knew they didn't know. 
But he doesn't wait for the answer, right? He doesn't wait for them to say, now we have no clue. He says, how will you understand all the parables? So he's saying, we're basing this parable as your foundation point. This is where we start from. We start with a gospel. We start with salvation and we build from there. If you can't understand the simplicity of the gospel and the understanding of how man's heart is, how are you going to understand greater and more deep spiritual truths? Jesus was helping them to focus on the fact of, as I give this explanation, listen. Understand it, that you can understand the parables to come. It was important for them to understand the fact that Jesus was speaking a mystery with a riddle. But in order for them to understand, he said, you need to understand this starting point. For this is our foundation. The soils of a man's heart. That is our foundation. That is where we're going to build from and go up from. So now he gives them motivation to listen and to understand the truth of salvation. For that is the starting point of all of us. We can't grow in faith until we start with salvation. It has to start there. He offers insight into why so many people reject the gospel. And there are a lot who reject the gospel. It's heartbreaking to see the droves of people that reject the gospel over and over and over and over. But now Jesus gets into his explanation. And it's the four responses of the heart. Verse 15. Uh, well, sorry, verse 14, the sower sows the word. Again, he equates the seed with the word of God, the word of salvation. That is what's being sown. So as the disciples go forth and make God, disciples of all nations and preach the gospel, they need to understand that what they're sowing is the word of God. And we know that in Isaiah 55, God says that his word will go forth and it will always have a result. It always has a result for which it was sent. Verse 15, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Jesus starts with the first response, a hard heart. Right? The hard packed roadside soil. Satan is a part of that. Satan hates the gospel. Satan hates to see people yield to the power of the gospel. And there are hard-hearted people out there, are there not? Yeah. And likewise, so were we at one time. Why? Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us start out as wretched sinners. All of us start out as people with a deep need and desire for forgiveness. But there are those who continue to walk in a hard-hearted response. Those whose emphasis is a heart that is just repellent to the gospel. And we see a lot of that. We see a lot of people that have utter hatred and disdain for the gospel. It's that hard-packed ground. It doesn't penetrate. doesn't even begin to germinate or take seed or take root. It's scattered on the ground and it's trampled underfoot and it's snatched away. There are many who are like that. But understand this, it's not due to the skill of the sower or the power of the seed. It has to do with the heart of the person. So again, as you guys go and as you preach the gospel, understand that. It has nothing to do with how you sow and your skill in that. Preach the gospel and preach it full truth. 
And it doesn't have to do with the lack of the power of God's word to change a heart. Because God's word is perfect and it will always convert the heart that is prepared beforehand by God, right? So when it's rejected, it has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with the lack of the power of God's word. It has to do with a hardened heart. Again, not our responsibility, right? People's reactions are not our responsibility unless we purposely offend people, right? It's not good to just go out and purposely offend people unless it's for the gospel because the gospel is offensive. Jesus was extremely offensive, not because he was mean, not because he was unkind, but because he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one came to the Father but through him. And people don't like that message. People like to say, I got it, I'm good enough. But again, it's not due to your skill, nor to the lack of the power of the word. It's due to a hardened heart. Second heart. And Jesus says this in a similar way. When he says in a similar way, he's likening it to the one before. So like those people who are hard-hearted and the gospel doesn't even penetrate, these are of a similar way. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word of God, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Here we have an emotional, superficial heart, right? We have the heart that on the outside looks like, great, they love Christ. And they're excited and they get into the emotion of what the Spirit does in his people, right? We are people of joy and passion for Christ. If not, why not? I am going to say that. If you don't have joy in your heart and you're not passionate for Christ, why not? Because everybody who names the name of Christ ought to be passionate about the word of God because we understand that it's the power of God unto salvation. And we ought to have joy because that is the fruit of the Spirit. And because Psalm 1611 says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. You can't live outside. You can't live in the presence of God and not have joy. But anyway, the stony soil, the rocky soil, they're very similar to that roadside soil because they have not genuine faith. It's superficial. It's emotionality. We see a lot of that in churches today, right? We see a lot of churches and their whole purpose is driving emotions of people because emotion evokes response. And if you can garner the emotion of a person, you can twist it and turn it in a way that makes them think something that they're not. If people's emotions are captured for the feeling of worship, it's not true worship. Your feelings will follow. Trust me, worship is heartfelt. But there is a true spirit of worship. And then there's an emotional worship that's not worship. Their feelings were affected, but the inward heart was not. And we see that because as they sprung up, immediately they received it with joy. They came to what everybody would say, oh, they got saved. They're, they're happy, they're excited, they're on fire for Christ. And then when persecution comes, it's like, hey, what happened to them? Where'd they go? Why are they over there? How many of us have asked that same question? We see people that we thought were on fire for the Lord, and all of a sudden they're living like the devil. It's like, what happened? Where'd it go? Well, it had no depth. They had no root. It was an emotional response. There's a great sermon by Vodibacum that was preached about how many people are going to be going to hell for 
praying the prayer, right? It's not found in the Bible. The sinner's prayer, you can't find it in the Bible. Anywhere. Stop giving people false hope. It's not just if you say this prayer, you've got your insurance card and you can go on living however you like. How do we know that? Because Jesus said that those who are of good soil will produce fruit. You have to have fruit bearing with righteousness. As Jesus told, go and bear fruit with what? With the same attitude of repentance. There has to be fruit. Has to. Because God's word always produces a crop. Always. And Jesus says that when affliction and persecution arises, understand the fact, it will arise. It's guaranteed. Jesus never guaranteed an easy life. Jesus never guaranteed great and calm and comfortable life. He guaranteed persecution. He guaranteed hardship. Why? Because life is hard. If there's one thing you can understand this morning, understand that. Life is hard. It's difficult. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. You know how tired I am of reading in the news the atrocities that continue to go on all over the place? It breaks the heart. Life is hard, and people hate Christ, and we need to understand that and be ready for that. Why? So that we can persevere. Why? Because Jesus said, take heart, for I have already overcome the world. It was a promise. It was a guarantee. We need to take heart so that we don't fall away. That word fall away is actually interesting. It's scandalizo. That sound familiar? It's a Greek word, but it's where we get our word scandalize, Right? What that means is it's offensive. They stumble. They become a scandal, right? Have we ever heard of scandal in the news today? Yeah, there's a lot of them, right? Well, it's the same thing. He says when persecution arises, they become scandalized, they stumble, and they fall away. The Apostle John in his epistles says they went out from us. Why? So that we would know that they were not of us. When persecution comes, you will know the heart of a man, whether it's for God or whether it's for himself. Because when persecution comes, it gives you that hard fact. You either love Christ or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's no other ground out there. You will either love Christ and forfeit your life if that's what it's called for, or you will deny Christ and he will deny you before the Father and his angels. He says that in the Word, in the Gospels. Where do we stand? Do we take heart through persecution or do we fall away and reveal the fact that we are nothing but living on rocky soil? Thirdly, he comes to the worldly or the, and I use this in parentheses, the carnal Christian, right? Verse 18, and others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world or the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. They give the outward appearance of godliness but to deny the power they're in, right? See, understanding that there are many people who claim Christ. If you don't believe me, look in the news. There's a lot of people that say they're Christian and live like the devil. There are many people who say they love Christ and they deny him in everything that they do. They prove their hatred of the gospel in the way that they live, and yet they say they're Christian. If you don't believe me, look at the news. The number one and number two hit songs on the gospel, what do you call that? Chart. 
on iTunes chart is a transgender man who is Flamey Grant, if that gives you an idea. His songs are the number one songs on the Christian iTunes chart. What a shame that Christianity is reduced to worldliness. It's a shame that people call themselves Christians and drag the name of Christ through the mud because they're anything but. But it happens, right? There's so many apostate churches, so many apostate preachers that preach a health and wealth gospel, which isn't a gospel. The gospel is hard and difficult. It's not thorny, right? Understand this. I'm going to read. Actually, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to. Actually, I will read it. Matthew 6. Turn Turn to the gospel of Matthew to chapter 6, please. This is something, a point that needs to be understood. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Later on, he also says that you can't serve two masters. It's not an either or. I mean, it's not a one or both, right? It's an either or. You will either love Christ or you will love the riches of the world. You will either love Christ or you will love your comfort. We need to choose, as Joshua said, whom we shall serve this day. We need to understand the fact when we choose Christ, we forfeit everything else that we think we would gain. The Apostle Paul taught that to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, he was talking about that. People preached what they called the gospel because they thought it was a means of great wealth and gain. And then he gives the great truth. It is a means of great gain for those who are changed by the gospel, but not in the way of the world and in the riches of it. Not in the fading glory of the riches, right? People have fallen so often. Why? For the sake of money. Now, is money evil? No. God uses it for a lot of good purposes. But the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Again, it goes back to the heart. And this is what we've got to understand, is the gospel always goes to the heart. You either love God or you will hate God. There's no middle ground. You're either at peace with God or you're at war with God. You either love him and submit to him or you are in terrible danger of destruction and judgment. That's it. That's all we have. We have two choices. To love God or to be choked out by the worries of the world. I'm going to read a couple other spots for you for warning against the thorny ground. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Why? For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God, he lives forever. And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. 
But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. It's, it's a lost art, especially in our culture, is contentment. Learn it early. Practice it. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Doesn't sound like a good life to me. To be pierced through with many griefs because of our love is not for Christ. But that's what the world does, is it comes in and it chokes out the truth of the gospel. It chokes it out with the idea of you deserve better. You deserve more. You need to be privileged to gain more. You ought to be handed everything. This is a lie from the pit of hell. We are to be given nothing. But God has given us everything in his son. That's grace. That's mercy. It's the understanding that we are not deserving of forgiveness. And yet that's what God has granted to those who believe. And lastly, Jesus gets on to the good soil. And others, and those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. It's God that prepares the heart, and it's God that prepares the harvest. But what did he do with his disciples in Matthew chapter 9? He told them, pray and beseech the Lord of the harvest. Why? Because the fields are white and ready for harvest, but the workers are few. There are few of us who are out preaching the gospel. And I'm not talking about standing behind a pulpit. I'm talking about being out in the world and daily preaching the gospel. Wherever God has you. Because everywhere that God has you, he has a purpose for you to preach the gospel. What other message is there that's of great value or great worth? None that I can think of. The gospel is everything. Christ is everything. Therefore, he needs to be our everything. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. For this reason, we also constantly thank God. Why? That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Again, this is not the word of men, but the word of God. And it does a work in the hearts of men, either to harden or to make soft and useful to be unproductive soil, or to be fruit-bearing soil. And Jesus promised the fact that their fruit would not be mediocre. It would not be minimal. It would not be the average. It would not even be above average at tenfold. It would grow 30, 60, and 100-fold because it's supernatural. Because it's the Spirit of God working in a man. Do you understand in the Gospels that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry? Jesus in his flesh yielded to the Spirit, showed us how to do that. You want to live 
in the power of the gospel, quit quenching the spirit of God. Quit listening and bending your ear to the things of the world and start standing on the truth of the gospel and stand firm. Why? Because you will be opposed. You will be persecuted because of the gospel. Why? Because Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. It's a guarantee. But you know what the great guarantee is? We have the guarantee of an eternity in worshiping our God without the hindrance of our flesh and sin. That's the guarantee we have. Jesus told another analogy using the agriculture, right? When he talked about being the vine and they were the branches. What else did he say? He said, if you love me, you will obey me. There's an understanding in that. So what is our result of the soils? What is the result of bearing fruit? I'm going to read some verses for you to end. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Pages are sticky, sorry. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And in Matthew 3.8, he gave the command, keep bearing fruit with repentance. And in Philippians 1.11, he tells you to bear the fruit that is in keeping with righteousness. What is that fruit? Galatians chapter 5, we have a list of some fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, love. And I'm not talking about the fickle love of the world. It is a sacrificial commitment to another's good. That is what love is, godly love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Again, as I explained earlier, we who are Christians ought to have great joy because we know the truth. Peace. You can always have peace in the, even in the midst of turmoil. Patience. That's one all of us ought to practice on. It's hard. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Here's one we often overlook. Gentleness. It's a hard one. I know I struggle with that one myself. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Why? Because against such things there is no law. Why? Because Christ satisfied the law. Christ put to death the penalty of the law. The power of Satan. But true repentance is only a supernatural work of God for his glory. 2 Timothy 2.25 says this. 2 Timothy 2.25 Would gentleness correct those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth? It is a work of God. It is not a work of man. And again, I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 2, but I'm going to read 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Again, dead men don't do anything, right? In which you were formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This is the condition we find ourselves in as people. 
Here it is, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. That's the gospel that we preach. That man has a problem with sin. That man is dead in his sin. And that Christ is the only answer to life. There is no other. So these are the four types of soils that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. We have the hard ground, right? The hard-packed ground. The rocky ground. The thorny ground. And then we also have the ground that has been prepared by God as good soil to produce fruit. But we need to produce fruit in keeping with the gospel. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. We thank you that you are sowing your word in our hearts and in our minds, that we may be prepared as a people for your glory, who love you, and we show that love through our obedience to you and to your word. Father, help us to be faithful in sowing seed. Help us to be faithful in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there is not another gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Father, we thank you that you have given us understanding again through your word this morning that we have not been left as orphans, but you have adopted us as your children for your glory and for your purposes. May we live according to the truth of the gospel. May we show love to our fellow man by preaching the gospel. For man's greatest need is the, to understand and know that you are God and there is no other. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there is no other. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but through him. Our greatest need is the gospel. May that also be the greatest importance when we speak to people around us, is getting the message of the gospel across. And Father, may we remove ourselves out of the way that we do not become a hindrance to the gospel. But may our lives honor and glorify you by your strength and your spirit. Again, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.